Okay, well let's let's just jump back in. So this will be our last kind of class class. We'll meet one more time to go over a couple of not smaller, but you know, not less important things, but other other things as well. Um, so this week we'll look at the the Lord's Prayer, and um, let me let me just kind of begin with a couple of notes. Um, first of all, we know that it's a daily prayer. And we, you know, so, uh, you know, someone says, how often should I pray the Lord's Prayer? I think the answer is pretty clearly uh, every day because Jesus says one of the things we pray for is daily bread. You know, it'd be strange to pray for daily bread, you know, uh, monthly, you know. Yeah. So we give us this day our daily bread. So we pray for it, for it daily, um, which also says other things about the nature of the other petitions. You know, when we talk about forgiving us of our sins that we might forgive others, you know, um, you think about that, what Jesus is saying is you need to pray for forgiveness every day, right, if it's a daily prayer. So there are some people who I think, you know, like in, in, the, um, in the Catholic Church, for example, not to pick on the Catholics, but, you know, they have confession as a sacrament. And, uh, you know, people go every couple years, maybe the really serious people go every couple of weeks, but some people go every few decades, you know, and uh, they just kind of go ahead and let their life go on, and then they catch up for it later. Um, Jesus says we need forgiveness every day if this is a daily prayer. So um, some people have said that this, is a, this prayer is kind of a summary of all 150 psalms. And because uh, each, each, each of the seven petitions of this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, you know, you could find that more fully spoken of in the psalms. So one of the things that... Um, is a good practice for Christians to do is to is to read through the Psalms. And on that other podcast I do, which is just daily Bible readings, I always include a Psalm every day. So that at least one Psalm, you hear one Psalm a day if you listen to that. Um, and then one of the questions people have about prayer, to put it simply, is, you know, are we trying to change God or are we ourselves trying to change and your answer to that question will reveal a lot about how you believe that you should pray. You know, so in other words, what is the image of God? Is he up there kind of going like, hey, you know, um, I sure hope someone will pray about this so I'll finally get to do something about it. You know, um, I don't think that's the right image of God. You know, that would trample on God's sovereignty or God's being all-powerful, right? God is the one who decrees what takes place in time, what will take place in the future. So in the petition, Luther has a beautiful way of explaining, you know, why it is that we pray. It's not because God is up there going, gee, I hope someone prays that, you know, my kingdom will come so that I can finally unleash my kingdom. That's not, that's not what's going on. Um, so the way that Luther describes it, I, I just think is brilliant. So we'll get to that. But um, rather, I think, why then do we pray? I think ultimately we pray you know, for ourselves, that we would change, that we would be more in, in uh, concordance with God's will, with God's design for our life. I got a question for the prayer. Yeah. Because I know everybody, oh, well, you're supposed to pray, but you, you're supposed to pray one way. There's only one way to pray, like the, the way the Bible says, how do you do, what kind of word yeah. you say, or how do you, or yeah. you have to pray the way 
where you are fit. I mean, because yeah. I don't know sometimes people say pray, but I feel like I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to ask in God. Yeah. Maybe asking this way, maybe that's uh, not respectful. Maybe I cannot say, okay, God, you know what? Today uh, I'm not too happy with you. But yeah. Is, you know, things like that. Yeah. That's a great question. Um, right to say that. If you read the Psalms, you would, the, 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 you know, what you find is that people frequently, the authors of the Psalms, frequently go to God with cries of anguish and, and saying, God, where are you? Why aren't you helping me? And God, you know, put away my enemies. And, you know, people ask for that in prayer. That's very normal. So, yes, I, I, the Lord's Prayer models how we ought to pray. But it's not, but, but that doesn't mean we can't also speak to God as though he were right there in the room with us. Because he, when we pray, the first thing we say in the Lord's Prayer is our Father. And we talked about this with the Creed. You know, what does it mean that God is our Father? It means that we're in relationship to him. It means that, you know, he's not just an object in the sky who has pitiless indifference towards us. Right? I mean, he is our Father. We have relationship. Therefore, we go to him as anyone would go to a father. In fact, Jesus talks about how, you know, if a, if a, if a child goes to his father and asks for an egg, you won't give him a scorpion. You know, so so that there, that's an indication. Um, so I would begin in terms of understanding how to pray the Lord's Prayer first, the Psalms second. Those are the framework for how we pray. But, you know, Paul also says pray without ceasing. And uh, he talks about coming to God with sighs too deep for words. You know, and he talks about how Christians have a peace that passes all understanding. So, you know, certainly the prayer life is one of constant communication with God. Now, we're going to get into the wrong ways to pray, okay? So I do believe that there are ways that we trample upon God and we even blaspheme God in prayer. And so we, we do want to be careful for that. Like, like there's been a lady that's come to this church a number of times, and, um, you know, God bless her. I believe that she's homeless, and she listens to a lot of the televangelists and things like that because she repeats their language. You know, she says like, you know, and she comes and asks me for prayer, and she says, could you pray for me that I would have a financial breakthrough? You know, that's very television pre preacher language, a financial breakthrough, you know. Um, but of course, what they're saying is, you give me money and you'll get a financial breakthrough, you know. And I, and I never pray for that for her, but I pray that God's providence would, you know, come to her and that she would have what she needs and that she would be, you know, that we would all be thankful for what God provides, you know. So I take a prayer about money, and then I try to change it into a God-centered way of praying, yes, you know. Yes. Not like, hey, God, give me this. I need money. Give it to me. But rather, let's look at it from God's point of view. God is the provider. God, look at all that God has already given us. You know, let's, let's be thankful for what we have instead of, of blaming God for everything we think we need, we you know. Yeah. yeah. So I do think that there are, are there are just frankly blasphemous ways to pray. Um, I do think that, but it'll it'll carry. We'll I think that will get clearer as we go. Also, let me say this too. You know, there was a movie that came out recently. It's called I think it's called War Room or something. War Room. War Room. I think so. Anyway, it's a Christian movie, and it's about a, a woman who is like a a. a, a, a prayer who strictly follows Jesus advice when he says go into a closet to pray so like there are another there are, there are times when people say how do we pray and Jesus says go into a closet so she has a room in her house it's just her designated prayer room 
I don't think that's wrong. I think it's taking it a little bit literally because I think that what uh, I mean, a lot of people wouldn't have an extra room in their home. Yes. Think of all the people all over the world who the entire family lives in one room. Yes. You don't have a room just to go pray. You might set aside a space within a room to pray, but um, that's a bit of a luxury for some people. But the point that Jesus was making is that when you pray, pray with you and God. Um, you know, maybe it's good to try to blot out distractions, uh, but don't pray in a public place. Make a connection. Yeah. Yeah, I know, I know that, that, like, kind of things, I, think, I mean, like, I think it's, it's wrong. It's like some people in a public place try to look real uh, Christian or something. Yeah, pious. Yeah, want to go to yeah. eat or something. And some yeah. people go to eat and when we're working is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, like everybody wants to yeah. see me, like, yeah. like look at me. Yeah. So I believe that's not right, you know, because to me, lose faith. Yeah. I don't know why, but to me, lose faith. You it's, know? Tri- it's tricky, right? Like, if you go to a restaurant, should you pray for your food? As a family, we do that. Well, we, we do yeah. that, but yeah. not, not, not too loud, you know, just yeah. take a hand. Yeah. Like yeah. Say, you know? Yeah. I, I hear you. And I think that um, one of the problems to the, probably the biggest problem as people understand prayer is is if you know if you pray to God earnestly enough in the closet with just you and God and no distractions and you really believe and you really believe and you really believe then God will answer the prayer he's obligated to answer the prayer now that's a whole movement called kind of the word faith movement like Joel Osteen is a word faith teacher so if you really listen to what he says for example but there's a lot more like him who aren't as skilled as he is at hiding it but you know basically what they say is you know if you pray you know God is obligated to answer because God God's will is sort of unleashed by your prayer. Now that is totally false teaching. Well, let's dig in with the introduction. So we've got our Father who art in heaven. And uh, this is what Luther says about this. He says, God would thereby tenderly urge us to believe that he is our true father and that we are his true children so that we may ask him confidently with all assurance as dear children ask their dear father. And so we've said that already, that, that you know, when we pray, we're praying to God who comes to us he reveals himself to us as a father, and and that's how we pray. And so instantly, with the first two words, we're already we're already removing ourselves from the way that many people think about prayer. You know, a lot of people think about prayer in a in a in a bizarre way, or they think about God in a bizarre way. But right away, we're saying we understand that God is is our father. So, um, and this is what I say: I say this is not a prayer to a dictator, a tyrant, a governor, or a mere master. Jesus wants us to relate to God as our Father, for he does what every good father should do. Some, no doubt, have had negative relationships with their fathers, and we talked about this before in the fourth commandment, but uh, some have had absentee fathers. We must be careful not to conflate our imperfect fathers with the perfect father, but also to be sensitive to those who may struggle thinking of God as Father because of negative experiences in the past. So, so we talked about that when we talked about honoring your, your father and mother, that you know there are people who've had tough experiences with their father but whatever other people's experiences with their father have been the point you know that we make is is that G, that god is the perfect father he's a, he's a so, father. yeah he's the one who does everything our fathers you know didn't do i mean even if we had great fathers they still weren't perfect you know yeah. so um but he's the perfect father and that's how he relates to us so okay well let's look at the first petition there's seven petitions in the lord's prayer hallowed be thy name 
Now, this is where Luther gets into, he establishes the pattern for how we think about this th- these things. And it's just, it's so brilliant and pastoral and, and, and thoughtful. And so this is the pattern he's going to lift up again and again and again. So what does this mean? He says, God's name is indeed holy in itself. But we pray in this petition that it may become holy among us also. So in other words, when we pray, hallowed be thy name, you know, Again, and this this is related, of course, to the to the second commandment. Um, second, uh, let me think. You know, but uh, do not take the Lord's name in vain. Yeah, okay. second commandment. Um, depending on how you number, but um, so we're so the very first thing we say when we pray to the Father is that Your name would be holy, Lord. You know. Now, does our prayer make God's name holy? No, uh, it's already holy. What, what we're praying then is not that it would become holy, but it's that it would be holy among us. You know, if, if you could choose to live among a, among a group of people who spit at God's name or a group of people who revered God's name, what would you choose? I'd choose the second every time, right? And, and one, of the, one of my concerns about our nation is that we live with a bunch of people in our nation who spit on God's name. I'm not, I don't know how many, yeah. And there are lots of ways to spit on God's name. You can do it by ignoring God. You can do it by literally, you know, protesting against God and writing books against Christians and so forth. But, um, but certainly when we pray, what we're saying is, Lord, we want, we, we want your name to be holy among me. I want, I want your name to always be holy in my life, in my way of thinking. And then I want it to be holy in the land that I live. It's already holy. That's not going to change. But we're praying that his name would be hallowed among everyone here. So that's the pattern he sets again and again. We're not praying, for example, that God's kingdom would come because God is waiting for us to pray. But what we're saying is, Lord, we want your kingdom to come around us. Bring your kingdom to us. And so that's that's how Jesus teaches us to pray. Let me read what Luther says again, and then I'll read what I say. He says, when the word of God is taught in its truth and purity... And we, as the children of God, also lead holy lives in accordance with it. Uh, I'm sorry. And we, as the children of God, also lead holy lives in accordance with it. To this end, help us, dear Father in heaven. But he that teaches and lives otherwise than God's word teaches, profanes the name of God among us. From this, preserve us, Heavenly Father. Len, this, this is what I say. Um, notice the pattern that Luther lays out. We're not narrowly defining what is true about God, but asking what is necessarily true about God to also be true among us. God's name is holy no matter what we do, but we want God's name to be holy among us and in our lives. In saying this prayer, we are reminding ourselves, again, this is a daily prayer, that we want God's name to be holy among us. Therefore, we obey the second commandment not to take God's name in vain. So I'm a little bit repetitive there. Uh, that's why I wrote this stuff out to begin with, because I always end up saying the same things uh, when I when I teach on this. But so um, <clears throat> you know, again, the the and, and 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 as we talked about when we talked about that commandment, remember, there's lots of ways for God's name to be unholy among among people. It's not just the cursing. It's not just the swearing. It's not just the uh, you know. It's it's also when things are done in a very very nice way, but they still dishonor God's name. It's when God's name is brought into a situation, and then things contradictory to God are brought in at the same time. 
You know, that's why as a, as a body of believers, when we invoke the name of God, we ought to try as best as we can to live in the full way that God wants us to live. You know, so we don't get to begin a church service in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teach something that the Bible says is wrong, and then we teach it as right. That is not, and then we pray the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be thy name. Well, that's a contradiction. That's a, you know, it might be done with the best of intentions, but but that's a real problem, you know. And every church is going to, every church, I think, is going to fall into that error. But God knows the difference between those who maliciously pervert God's name and those who, with truly holy intentions, err. So, you know, that's just kind of, um, that's, that's, you know, the way the cookie crumbles. I mean, I, there, are, there are churches, for example, uh, who, who teach uh, things about the Lord's Supper different from what we teach. You know, so I'm not picking on, you know, I think it's a big error, <clears throat> but there are other people who teach, you know, a man can marry another man, and they preach that from the pulpit, you know. So that, that, that's a, a, an easy example, a modern example of the way God's name is not hallowed. You, you pray that God's name would be hallowed among us, and then you contradict what, what he teaches after you've uttered his name. You brought his name into the equation, You've gathered in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then you contradict the word that he gave us. You don't want to do that. A, I believe that's one of the points too many young people right now is uh, away from God, you know, mm-hmm. because it's too many shows, and too many shows try to steal stealing things from people. Yeah. And the only one teaching you something like crazy. Yeah. So the young people don't even know where, oh, yeah. where the goal, you know, it's too many information like if you wanna if you wanna say it that way. Yeah, I, no, I totally agree. I think a lot of people I mean I had some members right now who live far away. They don't have a car, they're young, and they and they asked me where should I go to church? So here I'm, I'm I have their address and I'm looking on Google and I'm doing a, a search for you know, where they can walk, you know, to go to church. Because to their credit, they want to go to church, and they can't make it here. So, you know, I found a, you know, I'm like, well, this this church, no, for sure. This church, no, for sure. This church, maybe. This church, then I found a church, and I'm going to their website. You know, that's all I can do. Well, they, they believe that the Bible is the Word of God, and they have a Reformed background. Do I agree with everything in that church? No. But... They can walk there, and they believe the Bible is the Word of God, and uh, it's a small church, which I advocate uh, for accountability purposes. So I said, "Go there," you know. And uh, she said, "Do you know the pastor?" I said, "No," but you know. Um, but there are a lot of churches. I, I said, "I don't want you going here, 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 and here," because they teach falsely, in my opinion, falsely enough to where it would it could actually be damaging. So, and that is a problem. You know, the church, is, the church in America right now is in open competition with each other. And as the church shrinks, as, people, as fewer people go to church, churches are going to get in more competition. It's like, you know, Walmart and Target and Kmart and, you know, whoever else. Yeah. You know, they're all in competition with each other. And they're, you know, going to do everything they can to win the customer to their store to earn their money. Well, the, the church shouldn't operate that way, obviously. The church should be the kingdom of God in part, you know, on earth, not in full yet, but, but partially. And, um, 
we should be brothers and sisters, but we don't work that way. So, nope. and that's a shame. Unfortunately, yeah. Yep. Well, let's keep going. Um, we talked about this a little bit already, but thy kingdom come. And again, here's the pattern Luther lays out so brilliantly, so pastorally. What does this mean? The kingdom of God comes indeed without our prayer of itself, but we pray in this petition that it may come to us also. How is this done, he says, when our heavenly Father gives us his Holy Spirit so that by his grace we believe his holy word and lead a godly life here in time and yonder in eternity. Um, And so let me just go ahead and say what I say. The pattern repeats here. God's kingdom is at God's discretion, but we want to be wrapped up in God's kingdom. We should always remember that God's kingdom is present where Christ is proclaimed and where the sacraments are rightly administered. So God's kingdom is necessarily present in a sinful world, and evidence of it will not be seen by some kind of utopia on earth. Sometimes when people think of this petition, thy kingdom come, they think, oh, oh, you know, bring me a, uh, make it good for me here, you know? That's not what it's saying. God's kingdom is not expressed in material abundance, having money, ease of life. That's not what God's kingdom looks like. You know, every time Jesus tells a parable about the kingdom of God, and that's what the parables are, the good Samaritan helping the man on the side of the road, uh, or, or the prodigal son, the son who sins and comes back to the father. Those are maybe the two most famous. Uh, but, but throwing uh, wheat into the field, and some of it bears fruit, but other of it is picked off by the birds, and some bears fruit but then dies because mm-hmm. it, it didn't have soil. Um, the, the, the labor is in the vineyard, right? So people are picked up to go into work uh, different times of the day, but they all get the same pay, even though some worked longer than others. Um, all these parables that Jesus tells about the kingdom, of, that's what the kingdom of God is like. It's not a utopia on earth, um, but it's a promise of God um, towards his people, which is revealed fully when Jesus comes again. So, um, so again, God's kingdom is already here. God's kingdom is already doing work in the world right now. And God's kingdom is at God's discretion. We don't get to say, God isn't up there saying, if someone would only pray that my kingdom would come, then I would send the kingdom. No, that's not how it works. God's kingdom is spreading throughout the land right now as we speak. And in some areas, it may be contracting, but that's all at God's discretion. What we're saying to God is, God, we want your kingdom here. You know, we want your kingdom to be among us. We want believers. We want, the, we want Christians to be, you know, present among us and stuff so, like that. I believe the prayer every day. Yeah. That's the key to to be to be with God. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you when you talk about it's not have a new car or let me have some more money. Yeah. It's not that, but if you pray every day, at least I believe like God kingdom to me is love and peace. Yeah. Love, yeah. You can be a face, you know? Yeah, yeah. But I believe that prayer every day is, yeah. is, is something very important. It is. I mean, he. I mean, yeah. Because what is what is Jesus saying? He's saying every day pray that the kingdom of God would come. And you mentioned peace. That's true. But people, the way that I think some Americans define peace but is the way to define, everybody defines peace differently. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah that's right. So in some ways, it's. Um, you know, Jesus says, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. So um, 
And what what I think he means by that is our the final peace we need is peace with God. Yes, spiritual yeah. peace. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Right. More right. On that. Like you feel right. more peace with, with God, you know. But there might be times when, you know, uh, you're on the front lines of battle. Yes. And you still have peace. Yes. Or you're working for peace. So you know. Yeah. 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 So um, anyway, so thy kingdom come. Again, God's, God isn't waiting for us to pray the prayer to spread his kingdom. The kingdom is already spreading. What we're saying to God is, God, we want your kingdom here. Please, desperately, we need your kingdom here. And, and, and that is a prayer. Wow, we need, we need that in this country right now. You know, Lutherans don't talk about revival a lot, but I, we absolutely need revival in this country. Now, the, revival is the work of the Spirit. Uh, it's not the work of a, a church holding a meeting and calling it a revival. A revival is what the Spirit does, and so what we're praying is that we would get that spiritual, but uh, that, that revival. Okay, let's look at the third petition. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And let's read Luther's answer. He says, The good and gracious will of God is done indeed without our prayer. This is the pattern once again, right? But we pray in this petition that it may be done among us also. How is this done? When God breaks and hinders every evil counsel and will, which would not let us hallow the name of God, nor let his kingdom come, such as the will of the devil, the world, and our flesh, but strengthens and keeps us steadfast in his word and in faith unto our end. This is his gracious and good will. And then let me just go ahead and read what I, what I say about it. So often the world confuses the will of God with the sinful actions of men. Never forget that God's good will for us was laid before us in Genesis 1 and 2, before man's fall into sin. We have rebelled against his will, so we pray that God's will might be seen among us. We pray this, that we might grow and change, not because God is waiting on our prayers to act. So, um, so you know, the will of God, um, you know, C.S. Lewis had this great, he was a, a 20th century Christian, a British Christian thinker. Do you know C.S. Lewis? C.S. Lewis? C.S. Uh, C.S. Lewis. Yeah, he wrote like the Narnia Chronicles. He's most famous for that, the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Yeah, I hear about so, it, yeah, but I don't know exactly who. It's okay, yeah. He was an English uh, professor at Cambridge in Oxford, mm. and he taught like a medieval, uh, I don't know, uh, literature and things like that. But he, but he was also a Christian who came to Christian when he was around 30, he had a conversion, and he wrote as a defense of Christianity. And I don't agree with everything he wrote in that regard, but a great thinker. And he had a way of saying it. He said, there are two people in this world. And um, he said, uh, there are people who say to God, he says, there's two kinds of people. The first is people who say to God, thy will be done. Right, and that's the third petition. Thy will be done. And there are other, the second type of people is people to whom God says, thy will be done. You see, so there are people, people who say to God, down up, thy will be done. And then there are other people who God says, thy will be done. Yeah. <clears throat> now, which camp do you want to be in? You know, most men live in the second category, right? They, they, they basically, they do not say to God, thy will be done. What they want, they, 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 they treat God like he's their butler. You know, they treat God like he is at their disposal. Hey, God, I need you now. Come help me. A hurricane comes. God, where were you? You know, um, so God is always there when they need God, but they're not praying every day. No, thy will be done. And so 
Um, again, God, just like God's kingdom, God's will is spreading throughout the world every single day, every single moment of every single day, whether we pray this or not. But we are praying to change ourselves, to adapt our lives and our hearts and our minds to God's will. You know, so that it is not, again, God isn't waiting on us to pray, but we are praying that we would change. And the more you pray this over time, the more you are comfortable when, you know, this, this is how, for example, Christians are at peace in the midst of conflict. This is how Christians are peacemakers in the world. This is how Christians maintain marriages. This is how Christians uh, are, are faithful parents. This is how Christians are good employees because they are people who are at peace with God's will. Yeah, it's not only praying whatever you're in trouble. Because some people is like that, I include myself sometimes. Sure. It's like when everything is fine, I don't even remember God. Right. But when some kind of trouble, oh my God, oh God, what are you doing now? Yeah. So yes. Yeah. But I think one of the hardest things that all people face is trusting in God's will, especially in difficult times. You know, the death of a child. You know, we had a 17-year-old girl who's the granddaughter of some of our members here, died in a motorcycle accident. You know, how in the world do you pray? That's going to be hard. Yeah. But you pray this now so that when that day comes, you're already trusting in God's will, and you're believing in God's will, and you're believing that God's will is present. You've got to, you've got to prepare yourself for that. Um you know, you can't, you, you know, you can't, I, I, I tell people, you know, if you don't have the muscles to, uh, what you do in prayer is you're building up muscles. When you go to church every Sunday and you pray every day and you take the Lord's Supper and you remember your baptism and you study God's word, all of those things, you're building up your muscles, like going to the gym. Yes, yes. You know? You're strong yourself. Yeah. So when the day comes and you've got to lean on that, it's going to be hard, but you've got muscles to do it. If you don't do any of those things, and then that day comes when a death happens or you're, you're, you're rock bottom with an addiction or cancer comes or whatever. You got no muscles. You got no strength. It's like lifting a car with no, no, no muscles, you know. And uh, so this is part of why we have daily prayer. And this is part of why we pray this, that we would be at peace with, with God's will and we would accept it, you know, so that when that day comes. Okay, the fourth petition. Let's keep moving. Um, give us this day our daily bread. Again, here's the pattern. God gives daily bread, even without our prayer, to all wicked men, which is everyone, by the way, because we're all fallen in sin. But we pray in this petition that he would lead us to know it and to receive our daily bread with thanksgiving. So what is meant by daily bread? I love his answer. He says, everything that belongs to the support and wants of the body, such as meat, drink, clothing, shoes, house, homestead, field, cattle, money, goods, a pious spouse, pious children, pious servants, pious and faithful magistrates, good government, good weather, peace, health, discipline, honor, good friends, faithful neighbors, and the like. So let me read my commentary. He says, lest we forget who provides us all of our needs, Luther clearly sees the bread as symbolic of all bodily needs. Uh, this prayer reminds us daily. One can't help but be reminded of Jesus' words in Matthew 5.45. For he, God, makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Even evil men get their daily bread. We pray that God might be so merciful as to provide for us as well. 
Did you, um, when, when Harvey came, you know, I went to the grocery store, it was like Friday before Harvey came. There was no bread. I found the last loaf of bread, and it was like a really expensive, like artisanal bread with grain all over it. And it, it was like, yeah. But I, it, I, I had to reflect, you know, on, I put on Facebook, I think, wow, think of all the times, anytime I want to go to a grocery store and there's food. Not only food, but all kinds of food, yes. right? Ten different types of pickles, you know? Uh, I, I kind of joke, I say, we live in the age of artisanal pickles, you know? You can have any kind of pickle you want. Yeah. Height, hot, I sweet. Love, I love pickles. And I do too. Now we get the same one, but yeah. you can see it's like a whole shelf yeah. of pickles. You know, salsa? Must be 50 kinds of salsa at H-E-B, you know? When I was a kid, it was paste picante sauce, you know? Now it's any kind of, you know... And it just made, it just the, the the miracle of God's provision and the and the market working to provide people daily bread. I mean, it's it's amazing, you know. And we take that for granted so often. And the one time I go to the store and they're out of milk and bread, and I didn't complain. I'm just saying that yes. you know it made me reflect how often God gives us our daily bread. Well, let's carry on. Uh, fifth petition. This is a little bit of a a, a, a difficult one. Um, forgive us our trespasses or sins as we forgive those who trespass against us. What does Luther say? What does this mean? Well, we pray in this petition that our Father in heaven would not look upon our sins nor deny such petitions on account of them, for we are worthy of none of the things for which we pray, neither have we deserved them, but that he would grant them all to us by grace, for we daily sin much and indeed deserve nothing but punishment. So we will verily on our part also heartily forgive and also readily do good to those who sin against us. Um, this is what I say, because this is a question people often ask. Uh, this could be quite a lengthy treatise, as this is a confounding petition. In other words, one of the questions people ask is, okay, will God only forgive us when we have perfectly forgiven others, right? Because the petition reads, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. So are we saying to God, in the same way that we forgive other people, we want you to forgive us the same amount. Now, if that's what it means, we're in big trouble <clears throat> because we don't forgive other people, yeah, right. right? We need perfect forgiveness from God, but we often forgive people conditionally, right? Or we forgive them when we feel like it. Or we forgive you know? sometimes a little bit. Yeah, next yeah. Day you start remembering what yeah, you yeah, exactly. You know, uh, we, we forgive when the anger is gone. God forgives in the midst of anger. That's how great his forgiveness is for us. So that's the question. So here's how I put it. Put simply, the as should be seen as relational and not transactional. Not transactional. In other words, God is not waiting on us to perfectly forgive, which we cannot do, to forgive sins. Okay, so in other words, it's not transactional. Or Yeah, it's not transactional. So when we forgive perfectly, then you forgive perfectly. That, that would be a transactional approach, and that, that, that can't be what Jesus is saying because we know that we can't forgive in the way that we need to be forgiven. So it can't mean that, it, but it's relational. Okay, so it's, in that, in that sense, it's an uneven scale. But everything in our relationship to God is an uneven scale. Yes. Uh, we because, cannot realize saying that We cannot forgive saying that here. Exactly, exactly. Exactly. He's creator, we're creation. So it's always going to be an uneven scale. But what, what's amazing about God, of course, is what God has done through Christ to 
even the scale, if you will. Um, you know, because he became flesh, died on the cross, rose from the dead, that, uh, that, that our sin, that he would bear our sins, that we would be righteous. So if anything, it's an uneven scale now, you know, in our favor. Yes. Uh, where we're, we're now closer to God. Um, so it's relational. As, as everything is with God, that's what we mean when he says he's our father. Now, that doesn't mean that God must forgive all of our sins, regardless of whether or not we have forgiven others. So, so I'm not saying, on the other hand, you could say, um, oh, well, God's forgiveness is so great that I never have to forgive anyone else. That would be taking advantage of God's mercy. Yes. That would be praying on God's mercy. I'll live however I want, but I'm going to pray this petition. So I think what God is saying is, look, there's a relationship here. You know, and, and Jesus tells a, a, ver- a parable, it's maybe my favorite parable, about a man that, that uh, owes a king 10,000 talents. You know, and this is, a, this is a parable every Christian should know. Uh, it's only found in Matthew, I think. But uh, a man who owes a king 10,000 talents, which is like a gazillion dollars, right? It's a crazy amount of money. The king forgives him the debt when he begs for forgiveness. Then the man goes to his village and another fellow slave there owes him 90 denarii, which is like three months' wages. And the man who's owed the money says, put him in jail, he owes me 90 denarii. The king finds out about it because everyone's mad, because everyone knows he was forgiven 10,000 talents, but yet he made this guy go to jail for owing him 90 denarii. And so the king finds out about it, and he's angry. Hey, I forgave you all this debt, and you can't forgive that little bit of debt to this guy. You see the, the imbalance there. So, so there is a relationship between our forgiveness and God's forgiveness. It's not transactional, but it's relational. And that parable demonstrates that. So do we have to forgive perfectly to be forgiven perfectly? No, that would be a transactional approach. Ought we to forgive others as best as we possibly can by God's grace? Yes. Why? Because we have been forgiven perfectly. So... Um, so, you know, that's something that Christians just simply ought to do is, you know, forgive other people. It's just a habit we've got to train ourselves to get in. I've heard a lot of people, Christians, who say, I can't forgive this person, say someone who murdered their child. Yes. Right? Yes. You know, and I'm not putting it, I don't want to put anyone in a difficult spot. Um, and I don't know what the timeline is on, on forgiveness for something like that. Yeah, it's pretty hard. But, I believe yeah, so. Absolutely. I mean, it's got to be the hardest thing they'll ever be asked to do. I don't know if so. you hear about it. It's, got, it's a lady. It was a, it was, uh, a, a young kid. She was when uh, you hear about uh, Dr. Bangeles, the SS Nazi. Oh, uh, Mangalas. Mangala or Mangala. Yeah, Mangalas. yeah, yeah. And she was one of the shadows he taken. He had in the, in the hand, you know, to do an experiment thing. Yeah. And she got a documentary where she go out and she forget all the SS and wow. especially him. Yeah, yeah. And she tried to talk with the other people who was there with the jungle and many of those say, I can't. Yeah. I can't. Right, and right. Even if I try, wow. I can't. Wow. Yeah. Even now, that's not talking about 80 something years old person. Yeah, you know, wow. Right. He said that's impossible for him to. Yeah. And see, and there, there comes a point when there is a conscience and willing hardness of heart that I, that I do think begins to come into play with this petition, where I do think, and only God knows when that point is. I don't know. Yes. But God knows that there's a point when he, he won't forgive you because of your unwillingness to forgive. 
And maybe God knows the difference between someone unwilling to forgive and unable to forgive. And maybe God shows special dispensation on people unable to forgive. But we have to understand that, that we cannot allow our heart to be so hard that we can never forgive. Again, does God, is God up there going, okay, your two-year grace period is up? I don't know, but I do think there's a, well, I shouldn't even say that, but. Well, I mean, I believe, believe too, I believe you got a time to say, that's Yeah, well, and in a very practical level, this is the only way people move forward in life. It's the only way, it's through forgiveness. It's the only way. You know, that, that is the only way to break the cycle of pain that you, that, that, then you, I mean, think of children who are abused. You know what they do a lot? They abuse their children. Somebody else. You know? Oh, children. Most people who are pedophiles were victims. Yes, right? That's right? And I'm not excusing it. I'm just saying, you know, the only way to break those cycles is to forgive. It's the only way. It's the only way. Um, so there's a, there's a kind of pragmatic element to it uh, as well, which is for the best life now um, that you could live, it's through one of seeking this 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 forgiveness that God offers, and you know, and by forgiving other people. So uh, it's it's a really really tough um, it's a really tough petition. I think this is maybe the hardest petition because of the of the complications. Yeah, because it's hard to forgive other people. We don't know exactly what the relationship is uh, between our forgiving other people and God's forgiving of us. I do think there's a point where when we refuse steadfastly to forgive other people. I do believe we are placing ourselves outside of God's forgiveness. I don't know when that is, but I would not put God to the test. I would not do that, you know. Um, okay, let's carry on. We're almost done. We're on the sixth petition. Sixth petition. Uh, sixth petition is lead us not into temptation. What does this mean? God indeed tempts no one. Well, that's important. That is really important to remember because what what, what it sounds like we're saying is Hey, God, you know, normally you would lead me into temptation, but I'm praying now that you would not do what you would normally do. That's not what's going on, because Luther makes it clear, and he's right. God does not tempt people. God is not up there playing with us like, like, a, like the Godfather, right? You know, pulling the strings. Uh, God isn't tempting people into sin. So that's not what he's saying. We pray in this petition that God would guard and keep us so that the devil, the world, and our flesh may not deceive us nor seduce us into misbelief, despair, and other great shame and vice. And though we be assailed by them, that still we may finally overcome and gain the victory. And uh, this is what I say. Luther is right, of course. God does not lead us into temptation. A better way to understand this might be more passive. Um, Help us to avoid temptation. Or let us not be led into temptation. And again, praying this daily helps us to be aware of what is tempting and helps to give us resolve in fighting against such sin. So there's no way that you can pray this without thinking about the things that tempt you, right? I mean, every and if you pray it every day, you're constantly thinking about, this is what's tempting me right now. And then, you know, God, give me strength to not be led into it. But I make the this distinction there between active and passive. So active language, you know, is, um, you know, um, oh, I'm always so bad at coming up with examples, but, it, 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 you know, the, the verb and the subject uh, are, are, are directly linked, um, right? So I did this. Uh, more passive language would be, um, let it not be done. 
And so I think that, you know, more passive language makes a little bit more sense of this. The active language uh, is, is, again, it kind of puts God in the role of the tempter. Yeah. But if we use more passive language in thinking about it, I think it, it more rightly understands our situation, which is God, protect me from temptation. Don't, it's not saying God, do what you, uh, don't do what you otherwise would have done. The devil is who leads us into temptation, not God. So what we're saying is, God, protect me from the devil. Keep the devil at bay. You know, and you pray that every day. And you know, Let's go ahead and finish, then we can maybe say some um, last words. But the seventh petition, deliver us from evil. What does this mean? We pray in this petition, as in a summary, that our Father in heaven would deliver us from all manner of evil, of body and soul, property and honor, and at last, when our last hour shall come, grant us a blessed end and graciously take us from his veil of tears to himself into heaven. From this veil of tears to himself in heaven, rather. Uh, okay, Christianity, this is what I say. Christianity is not only about this life or the life to come. Both are important and sacred. This petition reminds us of our great hope as Christians. Not that we will avoid suffering or hardship in this life, but that we will be delivered from evil on the last day. So ultimately, every time we pray this prayer, we should be reminded, you know, Ultimately, what God will do for us is he delivers us from final evil. He delivers us from that great terror of, of final death, you know, and estrangement from God. So that's really what we are, you know, praying in this situation. God, you know, um, deliver us from evil. So, um, again, uh, you know, does, if God is going to deliver us from evil— you know, God is going to do that in spite of this prayer. But we're praying it that that it, that such deliverance would come among us also. That would be a very Lutheran way to say it. And then finally, amen. We kind of overlook it. What does amen mean? Luther says that I should be certain that these petitions are acceptable to our Father in heaven and heard, for he himself has commanded us so to pray and has promised that he will hear us. Amen, amen. That is, yea, yea, it shall be so. And I say, to say amen is how we say, I believe this is true and put my faith in it. This word is not a mere formality and should not be overlooked. The Lord's Prayer should be considered as it is said, uh, not merely said repetitively. And that's one of the difficulties, I think, with the Lord's Prayer, right, is that we like, we say it, we go through it, but what we've got to, we need to be thinking about each petition. And people ask again, how do I pray? One good way to pray is to take each petition and then think about it for a moment. You know, lead us not into a temptation. What is tempting me right now? You know, um, or thy kingdom come. Where do I? Where where do I? Where do we need God's kingdom right now? Um, how can God's kingdom be more part of my life? Uh, and so on and so forth. You can think about each petition and uh, and and kind of you know slowly go through it on you know in worship we we say it kind of quickly but in your own life we can say each petition and say how can each one of these petitions speak to where i'm at right now you know and then ask god for something specific related to each petition.